right, guys. Hopefully you shared some good favorite characteristics of God. We're going to get started in just a second here. Hey, let's give a shout out for the balcony seaters again. What's up, guys? Thank you all for doing that. Such a blessing, making more room down here. Thank you all. Hey, um, if I haven't met you, my name is Mitchell, and I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch. Thanks for being here. If you are a guest or just visiting, first time, don't forget to fill out your little Connect card, and you can bring that with you over there to uh, what we call Next Steps, where you get to hear a little bit of information about your next steps and getting plugged in here at Antioch. And then this morning, Maggie mentioned it at the very beginning of the service, but uh, we actually have what we call Intro to Antioch. We do that about once a month, and it's going to be right upstairs in the prayer room right after the service where it's a detailed version of explaining our history, our vision, our values, and ways you can get connected. And if you have any questions about our doctrine, um, then you can stick around. We'll provide lunch for you. And we got a little conversation upstairs in the prayer room. So if you haven't been to one of those and you've been here for a few weeks or even months, I encourage you today, just come on and, and join us. I think it's really helpful in the, in the steps of getting connected here at Antioch. And then one more thing I want to just announce is... Uh, we've got um, what we call pillars in our church, and that's those that are committed to serving in different capacities. And if you are uh, serving in some way at our church through uh, the AV team, worship team, parking team, kids, uh, connect team, will you just raise your hand real quick? Let's give it up for these guys. Thank you all for serving. A lot of you guys do. It's amazing. Um, specifically, we wanted to um, ask if there we need about 10 more volunteers to serve in kids ministry and so if you're not currently uh serving then hey jump in join a serve team if you're still checking out antioch not quite sure if you're going to get connected here that's totally fine take your time but we encourage as we as you continue to get involved in our church that everyone's not just attending but we're also contributing and serving and meeting needs and specifically we need 10 more people that are willing to uh, jump into our kids ministry serve those amazing kiddos and just a quick comment on kids how many guys do kids ministry raise your hand real quick at least once in a while all right see a few of you guys all right there's a lot of folks back there working with the kids we we just we don't just entertain our children here we care a lot about making disciples and I just really believe a lot in this next generation of children. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that have been changing in our culture and our generation. And we need passionate, wholehearted, grounded disciples of Jesus as they're four, five, six, seven, as they get older. And we are committed to doing that. And we, as the older generation, which is everybody above 20, uh, in this room at least, uh, we need an older generation to invest in the younger so that they learn to follow Jesus. I wish I had that when I was younger. And so anyways, if you are willing to do that or interested in jumping into serving kids, then there is, I think, a form that you can fill out, antiochnwa.org slash serve. All right, y'all good? Okay, well, hey, I um, got uh, two messages this morning. Do I have feedback from my mic? Echo, God is here, 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 here. All right, um, so here's my first little four-minute uh, message, and that's about a three-day fast that we're starting tomorrow. And um, so we do this maybe about once a year or so, but we are actually joining with the entire Antioch movement. If you're unfamiliar with Antioch, we're part of a larger movement of churches all over the U.S. and around the world. And we are joining um, for a three-day fast starting tomorrow, ending Wednesday night. The specific theme is praying for unity, which I'm going to be preaching on this morning from Ephesians 4. But anyways, just want to invite you guys um, into prayerfully considering doing it, um, at least in some way. Now, some of you are like, 
it's impossible for me to not eat for three days. Well, okay, just, just try. You'll find out, I guess. <laughs> and I bet you'll survive anyways. But I want to just mention a couple things. One, we have a really helpful resource about fasting because there's a lot of questions on like, is this biblical anymore? Do we need to do that? We have to. And um, I think we have a QR code uh, slide. If you want to take a quick picture of that, that leads you to a resource that literally has almost every verse in the Bible about fasting, different types of fasting, why do we fast, the heart behind it. And um, I want to encourage you to take a glance at that because we want to enter into something like this, you know, with a biblical understanding and foundation, not just, oh, let's do something radical for radical sake. No, we want God and uh, we want to meet with him. We want to do it biblically. But then also, let me show you these two things. Um, this is kind of a little bit of an excerpt from that resource, but let me show you two things here. Uh, one is a quick list of some examples of biblical fasting. Just, just helpful to know, like, this isn't just my idea or our church's idea, but look at a couple examples in Scripture of folks that fasted. So we see David fasted for one week. What was he praying for? The healing of his son. Uh, Daniel fasted for 21 days to discern what God was saying and ask him to fulfill his prophetic promises. And then the whole nation of Israel was called to fast and pray in repentance, to ask the Lord to relent from sending judgment. Jesus himself fasted for 40 days. He resisted the devil's temptation. Then it says at the end of Matthew 4, though, that he came out of that wilderness, that season of fasting, anointed with power to fulfill his ministry. And then also we see um, the early church apostles and disciples, they prayed and they fasted to hear God's voice and clearly discern uh, who to send out as missionaries. I just, I like that list. It's just helpful to see like a biblical landscape of, all right, here's some examples of different things people were praying for and contending for. And all of those examples, there was the, not just praying, it was accompanied with fasting. So it's just interesting to look at. And we have a biblical precedent that's gone before us for entering into this. But let me also show you this. I think this will also be helpful to make sure we're capturing the right heart. There's another characters in the Bible that also fasted, and that was the Pharisees. Jesus had a few things to say about the Pharisees, and I want you to see this. Here's why and how the Pharisees fasted. They fasted to be seen by others, to be admired for their sacrifice and spirituality, to feel good about themselves, to strengthen their self-righteousness, because they thought it would be a good idea to strengthen that, and then to prove they were better and more spiritual than others. just want to be clear, this is not what we're doing. <laughs> Okay, um, and so if you feel tempted to boast to all your other Christian friends, I'm fasting and you're not, well, there you go. <laughs> Get delivered from a pharisaical spirit and then fast, all right? So, um, or maybe just don't this time until your heart's right. Uh, so we're not doing that. Um, this is unto the Lord. We want breakthrough in our own hearts. We want breakthrough in our church in Northwest Arkansas, and we want to see a revival of unity and togetherness in his body like never before. And so we're going to seek the Lord for that. Sound good? So pray about it today. Take some time before you wake up tomorrow, because if you wake up tomorrow and your belly starts grumbling and then you start asking God, should I fast? The answer will always be no. Uh, <laughs> so ask today. Listen, I, I tell you that from experience, all right? Lord, should I fast today? Ah, no, I'm hungry. All right. So anyways, from experience. Okay, here we go. Uh, that starts tomorrow. We're doing uh, several prayer meetings in the morning, 6 a.m., uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, up there in the prayer room, and also the noon time. If you can get away from work for a little bit and want to come join us, it's always better to join with others and pray and worship get in the presence of God while fasting, if you can. So you guys are invited to that. Okay, I'm done with sermon number one. Sermon number two, here we go. We are uh, in week three of a series that we've titled Biblical. Everybody say Biblical. Okay, super, super simple, the premise for this, but, you know, there's just so many topics and discussions about 
thousands of different things out there in the world. And we want to make sure that when we are talking about something or thinking about something, we're thinking in a biblical way. We want the word of God to be our lens by which we see truth and we see the world and it's how we develop our mindset and our worldview is through the word of God. And listen, guys, we love the word of God. Does anybody else love the word of God besides me in this room? I know you guys. We love it. It is breathed out by God. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It's a double-edged sword that pierces us sometimes. It's helpful for training, instruction, and righteousness. It's our anchor uh, for truth. And I just want to just let you know, we submit ourselves to God and to his word. We don't kind of come over the Bible and make sure it says what we want it to say. No, we submit ourselves under the word of God and are committed to obeying it. And there's this little line in Ephesians 4 that talks about how pretty much when we do that, we're not tossed to and fro by every single wind of doctrine. I love how it says wind. It just blows. You know, just thoughts and ideas blow through our culture and and through different people's thoughts and opinions and TikTok videos and tweets and articles and news stations. It's just, here's an idea of how to think about the world. Here's an idea about what you should believe about this. Here's an opinion. Here's whatever. And I literally was getting a tire change yesterday, and I brought a book to read, and I was reading it, but the TV was right in front of me, and just the news was on for just a little bit. And to spare division, since I'm preaching on unity, I'm not going to tell you what news station that was. But anyways, I just for a few seconds, I was just like, wow, like, wow, the, the, the offense and the division that just normal news stations will present to you in a convincing way to make you angry at a certain political party or angry at a certain candidate or angry at this. It is alarming right now. And I just want you to know that, man, <laughs> if you're watching the news more than five minutes a day, please stop. Because it's like we the human it is hard for any human heart, no matter how mature you are in God, to not be swayed by someone that is very convincing in their words. And I just, I feel like I couldn't watch it. I had to like, all right, I'm turning away. I'm putting my headphones in because like, man, our hearts are easily moved. But when we discipline ourselves to anchor ourselves in the word of God and to make sure that we're not being tossed to and fro just by other people's opinions, it's just really, really helpful for us and leads to a fruitful life. And um, anyways, that was all random tangent, but hopefully helpful. Um, but yeah, we're committed to the Word of God. Amen? You guys love the Bible? You guys read the Bible? <laughs> Good. Good. Yes. Lord, help us read it more. All right, so what we've covered so far in this series, like I said, we're on week three. So the first two uh, weeks, we talked broadly about the um, topic of finances and tithe. Jeremy preached week one, talked about specifically finances and tithe. And then last week, Larry preached, and there's a little phrase he was kind of using that's familiar with Antioch. There's a slide up here. But he pretty much was preaching about living simply, working diligently, and giving generously. We looked a lot at Proverbs, just the wisdom of God, that if we embrace this type of lifestyle, the way we live is simple, the way we work is diligent, and the way we give is generous. Like that, is, that is in the heart of God and how we live. But this morning, we are talking about unity. And let me read, this is the theme passage for today. We're going to come back to it in a second, but this is from Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. It'll be on the screen. It says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. How many of you guys want to walk worthy of the calling which you've been called? Me too. Now we got to 
figure out what does that mean. But when I see that, I'm like, yes, I want that. <laughs> Verse 2, it says, with all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. And here's the key phrase, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Everybody say unity. Say unity of the Spirit. Say unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. <laughs> All right. Let me talk about this for a minute, a little bit more broad. Then we're going to dive into Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 and spend pretty much our entire time on those three verses. Does The question I want to ask, does it matter to God that we experience unity? It was rhetorical, but thank you. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. I'm glad you're right. Okay. It's just good to think about. So why does it matter to him? How do we know it matters to him? What are some examples biblically we look at? And I want to take you just for a second to John 17. And I want you to see something that I think is just so helpful for us. If you want to turn there, you can, but the scriptures will be on the screen. But we're going to look at John 17. And if you're unfamiliar with the book of John, um, pretty much chapters 13 through 17 is... Uh, what some would call the upper room discourse. It's the last uh, few days before Jesus is crucified. He's talking with his disciples and teaching them things. And what he specifically seems to be doing is preparing them for his crucifixion, preparing them for Jesus to no longer be with them. And so that alone is helpful context because it's like Jesus knows he's got about 48 hours left with his disciples. What does he think is really important for them to know? So if you want to figure out what he thought was important for his disciples to know right before he died, read John 13 through 17. But then specifically chapter 17 is amazing because it is, it is Jesus talking with the Father. And I want you to think about that for a second. I mean, the Trinity, just such a beautiful but mind-blowing the theological truth as God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But if you ever wonder... What would Jesus talk to his father about? We actually have it written down in scripture. John chapter 17. It's the whole thing, almost the whole thing is a prayer that Jesus is praying to his father. It's like, what do they talk about in the Trinitarian fellowship? What do, they, what do they talk about? Okay, John 17 gives us a little bit of insight on the son interacting with the father. Okay. And what I want to do, I encourage you to read that whole chapter, but I'm going to pinpoint a couple things here. And what Jesus is doing, he's, he's just expressing his heart. The first few verses, he's like, Father, the time's come. I'm about to be crucified. I'm about to be exalted as the Lamb of God. Okay, many will be confused. I don't know what on earth is happening. But, you know, now, 2,000 years later, we understand, wow, he took away the sins of the world. And a, few, a couple days later, he was raised to life. He's about to be glorified. Okay, but he has a few specific requests that he is giving his father. Look at verse 9. He starts praying for his disciples, his followers. He says this, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Let me pause there for a second and keep it up there. I just wanted you to see this. It's just interesting to me. Jesus was so specific to the father. The father already knows his heart, but he was really specific, maybe for our good, for our sake. Jesus was more concerned, listen to this, he was more concerned about how his disciples were going to live and act than the world. Look at this. It I just love that he's telling his father, hey, here's who I'm praying for, God, Father, and here's who I'm not praying for. I'm not praying for the lost. 
I'm not praying for those that are not yours. I'm not praying for those that have rejected you as their leader and their king. I am praying for those that are yours, your children. I'm focusing in. And I just love that because as I am a leader and I think about our church body, I'm just like, hey, whatever the world's going to do, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prioritize how are we going to live? <laughs> what are we going to do? How is our heart before the Lord? Like, I don't, that's why I'm like, I mean, it's helpful to know what's going on in the world, but I'm not going to spend hours on the news because it's like, I'm not surprised that the world is drifting further away from God because <laughs> they don't want God. So I'm not going to get upset that the world doesn't want God because Jesus said the world won't, won't want God. They killed Jesus because they didn't want him. Anyways, so, but how are we going to live? How are we going to be? And Jesus is praying for us. And then you skip down a few more verses, verse 20 and 21. Here's what he's asking. He's saying, Lord, I do not ask for these only, like the disciples, but I also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That's every believer throughout all the generations. It's the last 2,000 years. And here's what he's saying, verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Of all the things Jesus wanted to pray or prayed in John 17, he's saying, this is what I want, Father. I want them to be one. I want them to be unified. And you know, it's so crazy. The oneness that he compares it to is the oneness of the Trinity. How unified is the Trinity? <laughs> it's really helpful. <laughs> Woo, okay, that is a big prayer. Then he goes on to say, so that the world may believe that you've sent me, which I'll comment on in just a second. So all this, looking at this verse, I just, the point is this. It really matters to God that we are one. Jesus is pouring out his heart to the Father. It's near and dear to his heart. He cares so much about his body being unified and being one. And there's a huge ramification in light of the oneness, and that is the world believing that Jesus was sent from God. There's so many things. I just think about that. I'm like, okay, Jesus could have said, all right, Father, do a lot of miracles, and then the world will believe that I'm the Son of God. You know, Father, I don't know, rend the heavens and show your glory, send fire from the earth, and then the world will know that I'm the Son of God. He says, make my church one, and then the world will know that I'm the Son of God. It's crazy to me. But wouldn't it be God that in the most divided and disunified generation that maybe has ever walked the earth, wouldn't it be God that he sets apart his church as those that look very different? <laughs> he sets apart his people as those that look very different. Unified. Love that even though this room is full of people that are not the same, we have so many differences and all of us vote differently and all of us have different ways of thinking, and, but yet we would be unified in love and humility for one another. Wouldn't that be amazing that People can be in the same room, the same family, going the same direction, walking in the fruit of the Spirit, yet be different. That is not common <laughs> in this generation, at least. And I believe this prayer of Jesus will be answered before he returns. I don't know if you guys have faith for that, but I believe that he is coming back for a, a body and a bride that is very unified, that's one, that's not divided, not full of envy and strife towards each other, not competing with each other, but unified. Not offended at one another and unforgiving and segregated, but one. I believe that he will do this. And my question is, why not this generation? Why, why not? I, I want to invite you to believe with me. Like, the Lord will answer this prayer 
in this generation. I got faith for it. So Lord, do it in Jesus' name. Here's one more kind of foundational truth we have to realize before we keep going. We have to realize that this type of oneness Jesus is praying and inviting us into, we see it again in Ephesians 4, we're about to dive into, we have to realize that this, it is a miracle. It is supernatural. It is not accomplished by human effort and striving and willpower. It is supernatural. It takes more than just one meeting, or I'd even say one fast with a theme of unity. It's a life lived and, but it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you the example of the disciples, okay? Some of you guys have read through the um, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and some of you have also read through the book of Acts. But if you ever notice, how did the disciples engage and interact with each other the majority of the time in the Gospels? It was pretty disunified. They were competing with one another. I'm the best. No, I'm the best. No, I'm the best. They're fighting. Jesus is like, Wow, this is interesting. Um, they're competing and they're disunified. They think it's, it's, they're, self, they're exalting themselves, trying to be the best. But then if you keep reading, if you've read the book of Acts, you see a different story. You see a different interaction between the disciples, the leaders of the church. They were honoring each other. They were seeking God together. They were praying and fasting. They were empowering each other in their gifts. You, I don't know if you've noticed that, but the question I want to ask, what happened? Here's what happened. Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's say that together. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Here was the game changer. The Holy Spirit fell on them. They were filled with the spirit of the living God. And no longer were they trying to operate in their best to be unified, their best to work together. They were dependent on the spirit of God. So God's spirit was at work in them, guiding them, helping them, convicting them of their pride and their arrogance and their tried this desire to rise to the top. He was leading them to humility and gentleness and repentance, and the result was you see them working together as a unified body. It's beautiful. And so here's what we need to remember. If we do want to pursue unity and oneness like Jesus is talking about in John 17, then we, we must be continually dependent and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We will not be able to do it apart from his grace and his power at work in us. So let me pray that over us as I dive into this. So, Lord, we just, we yield to you. And, Lord, we give you this theme of unity, but, Lord, we acknowledge we cannot do it in our own strength. We pray you fill us with the Holy Spirit, Lord. We need your power. We are dependent on you. Come and change us. Come and mark us. Come and work in us. I pray for miracles in this room, not just of signs and wonders and healings, but the miracle of oneness, the miracle of unity, the miracle of honoring someone even though they're different than me, the miracle of forgiving someone even though they've offended me. Holy Spirit, do the work. We can't do it ourselves. We yield to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Y'all thankful for the Holy Spirit? Me too. Okay, so we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. 
And I just, everything I've been saying so far is just kind of building the foundation, and we're going to dive in a little deeper to Ephesians 4. Um, and what I'm going to look at here is pretty much mainly verse 2 and 3. Verse 1, Paul's like, hey, I'm, I belong to Jesus. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Anybody else belong to Jesus in this room? <laughs> Me too. In this message, I just want to give a quick heads up. This is, this is, I guess, only applicable if you're saying Jesus is my everything or Jesus is my Lord or I'm submitted to him. If you're in this room, you don't follow Jesus, I'm so glad you're here, but I hope you think we are really weird. <laughs> I hope you think we are very strange to believe that when we sing, show me your face, Holy Spirit, you're here, that we actually believe God's in the room. <laughs> I hope you think it's strange that we would read the word of God and want to obey it. Because it, it is strange compared to what's normal in the world. But if Jesus really is risen from the dead, he really is the son of God, he really is Lord, he really is coming back, he really will rule and reign forever, then it's, I guess, in this house with the people of God, it's not as weird to say, all right, Jesus, I trust you, I'm following your word, I submit to you. And so it just, because what I'm about to say is just, it's not pretty Christianity, it's not political Christianity, that's for sure, it's like for those that really want to give it all to Jesus. And uh, again, if you're not at that place right now, you're just like figuring out if Jesus is worth following, then I'm so glad you're here. But I just want to be clear. This is what we're going after is we want the ways of Jesus. He is our Lord and teacher. And we submit to him. And if his word says something, we want to embrace it. Amen. So here's how <laughs> Ephesians 4 teaches us as a prisoner of the Lord, following him, how it teaches us to live, especially relationally with this theme of unity. There's six or five different phrases in verse 2. It says to live with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So I want you to put that slide up there of those five different phrases, and these are the five that I'm going to kind of break down and explain a little bit more. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing in love, and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Now, how many of you guys are humble? All right, trick question, but you could say yes, it's fine. Um, I, uh, I was, what I was trying to do, and it might seem like I did it, but I, what, I'm trying, what I was trying to do to prepare this message was go through each of these words, look up the Greek, get an in-depth study of each of these words, and explain it really thoroughly to you. But I literally got to just the first one, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh no like literally I'm trying, trying to prepare and I had the house all to myself it's just great moments with God but I'm like I, I literally just look up some of these definitions and these Greek words that I can't pronounce and I, I'm literally just like bending over at the table like oh God have mercy on me how the heck am I going to preach this because gosh the call of Jesus, the invitation of Jesus, and reiterated through the apostles and all these epistles is, it is, it is uh, in a sense, I'll say it this way, it's too high. But, but I want you to capture this. It is, it is too much for you. It's too much for me. And this goes back to what I was just saying. Like, you can't be humble apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. 
you, my prayer as I got through, I mean, I think the first one, humility, I was bending over like, oh, God, have mercy on me. And then the second one, gentleness, I was like, I'm done. <laughs> nope, can't do it. I literally got up from the table and I go to a different room and I'm just there staring out the window looking at God. Have mercy on me. And I got to the prayer of, Lord, I cannot live this way. But you can. And your spirit's in me. So it's just this place of surrender. If, and, and this is very important because if you leave and your takeaway from this message is, all right, I'm going to try really hard to be humble. I'm going to try really hard to be gentle. I'm going to try really hard to be patient. Ooh, I'm going to work so hard to be patient. <laughs> I'm just telling you, it's not going to work. <laughs> I've tried a few times. But if you, if you humble yourself before God and say, I can't do it, Lord, you must do it. I can't, but you can. I can't, Lord, you can do it through me. This is not a self-reliant, you know, fix yourself, be humble message. This is a we are so dependent on God. And he does miracles in us often. And his spirit comes out of us. And then we like to have a moment of humility and we're like, <gasps> yes, God's here. He's fallen on me because I didn't respond as a jerk to someone that offended me. Serious, that's a miracle. All right. And as I go through these words, you know, I want you to think of, these are all kind of relational things. I want you to think of your closest relationships. Okay, which I would say for most of us is our family. It could be your roommates, it's your spouse, it's your children. Because when you think about these words that I'm about to dive into, based on different settings, they seem a little more possible. Because, like, listen, you guys come to church for about an hour and a half on a good Sunday, three hours, and uh, you, <laughs> listen, you know what every one of us can do? We can, we can hold it together for an hour and a half. You can hold it together. You can control yourself. If you're mad, you're angry, if you're really impatient all the time, you, you, can, you can, nope, I'm at church. Hi, everybody, I'm joyful. We can hold it together for an hour and a half, all right? You can also hold it together, um, you know, it takes a little more. You can't do it as much, but at work, you go in eight hours, you clock out. You, you can kind of hold it together at work for the most part. I was a teacher once, and there was one day I did not hold it together. But anyways, I'll tell you that story another day. Um, and, um, but you know, you can't hold it together with people you live with 24-7. <laughs> you'll, you'll break. And it's God's gift to us because when we break, we realize how much we need him. And so what, as I talk about these, I want you to think about the closest relationships you have, the place where you are the most re real and raw. Okay, that's what I want you to think about. Okay, and I want you to think specifically if there's relationships of people that you have tension with, I want you to think about the call of Scripture and how to act and how to live with these words, all right? Everybody clear? All right. So here we go, humility. There's a slide that gives you a few definitions. There's a Greek word that nobody can pronounce up there, I think. I'm not going to try. But humility, it's a modesty and a lowliness of mind. It's having a humble opinion of one's self. And I love this one, a deep sense of one's littleness. A deep sense, immoral littleness, but I just love that phrase, a deep sense of one's littleness. And let me just comment on that for a second because I think it's just so different than what we are so taught culturally 
which is like be the best, get a lot of influence, get a lot of followers. Be, you know, it's like the exact opposite where we're trying to be big in other people's eyes or maybe our own eyes to feel better about ourselves. But the call of the word of God is a deep sense of our littleness. Woo. And there's usually for a lot of these Greek words, there's like a biblical imagery, and you'll see that up there on the screen. But the imagery is face down in the dirt. All right? So everybody get on your face real quick. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> but I, I wish we had enough space to do that. You, actually, you can do that at the end of the service when we're responding, okay? Because <laughs> I probably will. But it's just, it's, you're literally, you're just, you're just on your face. This is, this is humility, the posture of humility. It's just on your face. I can't do anything. You know, but you know what's so crazy is most of us, uh, I was doing that earlier and I got a little indention on my forehead. It was awesome. Um, it's, most of us say, yeah, that's a great position before the Lord. But wait. That is the biblical call of position towards other people. Yeah, yeah, why I didn't be, uh, that's why I wasn't able to finish this. Because I was like, is this how I live before my wife? I don't need nothing. I can't do anything. Just, I'm here to serve you. Just, I'm on my face. It's like, yeah, of course, we honor God. We want to be humble before him. But, oh, my goodness, submitting ourselves in that type of posture to somebody else, whoo, that's hard. So what is humility? It is it is not always getting your way. It's putting others' needs and even their preferences above your own. It's realizing that you're not always right. It's a deep and a real dependence on God. Now, what is humility not? It is not beating yourself up. It is not thinking or saying that you're worthless. It's not belittling yourself. It's never speaking up. It's, it's not never speaking up or being honest with someone. No, no, no. So don't, don't take it too far, but it is a posture of deep humility and submission to someone else's good, even if you get nothing in return. This biblical humility. Gentleness. And this is my summarized version because I couldn't even get to all the Greek stuff. So anyways, gentleness. Mildness, meekness, kindness of behavior, sensitivity of your disposition or like an awareness of how you're coming across. It's, it's not being harsh or rough, assertive, rude, and demanding. And again, I think most of you can do this for an hour and a half <laughs> at church. But it's like, man, is this, is this how you treat your mom when she says something you don't like? Or dads, is this how you treat your children when they disobey? It's... It's a higher call. Gentleness. Let's look at patience. Because I know you guys just want more. <laughs> patience. Okay, it's endurance, constancy, steadfastness, perseverance, forbearance, long-suffering, and a slowness and anger. Look at long-suffering. Because that oftentimes there's an interchange in different translations between the word patience and long-suffering. But that mean, you know what that means? It means to suffer for a long time because of somebody else around you. Woo, that's patience. I'm like, I am I'm suffering. I'm like, this is not 
benefiting me. I'm like, and even sometimes hurt or offended by, by this or somebody doing something, but I'm, patience means you're willing to suffer for a long time. It's crazy. A couple more. Bearing in love. Okay, I don't think I have any, I told you I couldn't get very far. Bearing in love. Okay, it's all those three things, the beginning, humility, gentleness, patience, but it's for a long, long time. That's what bearing in love means. For a long time. How long is long? Yeah, two days, says Sam. Yeah. <laughs> long time. You know, it's just a good question. How long is too long? We're going to look at a parable at the end of just, you know, how long? How long is too long? It's just convicting. And it's bearing not just bearing with a bad attitude. It's bearing in love. Okay, and, and most of you are familiar with this passage I'm about to read, but as you think about bearing in love, okay, how do I bear for a long time? but also in a heart and a spirit of love. Here's, if you're wondering what does that look like or mean, here's 1 Corinthians 13. Just a reminder, love is patient and it's kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. There it is again, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Bearing in love. All right, last but not least, it says to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. But I specifically, I want to focus on that first phrase, eager to maintain. Everybody say, eager to maintain. Okay, as I looked up some of those words there, it, there's this connotation that it's, it's worth, like the unity of the spirit, unity with your spouse, unity with your roommates, unity with your parents, <clears throat> love and joy and peace in your relationships, the ones that are sometimes the hardest for you, there's this word, eager to maintain means you're, you want to fight for it. And you're not willing to settle for anything less than I'm unified with you. And we love each other well. And we are connected. And we are together. And we are for each other. That eager to maintain means that we are leaning in, not stepping back for unity. Here's another phrase that's helped me with this same one. It's, it's. It's the resolve that breaking up is not an option. Breaking up is not an option. Now, if you're dating someone and you're trying to seek God, it's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I want you to think of the closest relationships. Like, break, it's not an option for this to be broken. Okay, I think about my marriage with Beth and the strength of one of the huge foundational strengths of our marriage is divorce is never an option not an option. It's not in the conversation. We never use that word with one another. It's just we've decided before we got married, this is not an option. It's, it's not even, like, we're not even tempted by it because we have said, no, that is, n- breakup is not an option. We are committed for life. Now, let me pause for a second. If you've walked through a divorce, this is not a teaching on divorce. There's healing. There's restoration. Of course, God is merciful and compassionate wants to bring you close. But what I'm talking about is this, this, tendency if a relationship is not going the way I want it to go and someone keeps bothering me and offending me then I'm going to break it off because it's healthy now listen there are some situations that of course require severity but I want you to know in general especially with the relationships we're talking about relationships in this room relationships in your household breakup is not an option we lean in for health and unity and togetherness and love and gentleness and humility I'm going to talk about it a little bit more next week 
because this week is more like unity person to person. Next week is unity in the body of Christ or from church to church. What does the Bible say about that? And it's just so easy these days to, if I don't like something that this church does or these people do, then I'm, I'm heading out, <laughs> you know. But we're going to dread. What does that mean? Like, what could it look like for us to be so together and unified that that's not even an option? It's like we're because we're leaning in to healthy relationships. So this calling is high, and it is not possible apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Please tell me you hear me say that over and over again. This is not possible except by the power of the Holy Spirit. But let me close it out um, with just kind of addressing one last thing. And pretty much it is just what's the number one hindrance, the number one block to us living this way? And I guess I could say lots of things, but here's the, the two words that came to my mind that I just want to talk about for a second. Number one block to being unified is unforgiveness, and I'm going to use the word offense. Unforgiveness and offense. Everybody say offense. Um, Jesus is clear in Matthew 24, and then also I think it's uh, Luke something, chapter 1 through 24 somewhere. Um, <laughs> he says... Um, he says that we will be offended. Offense will come. In fact, Matthew 24, it's the context of kind of a chapter where his disciples just asked, what's it going to be like before you return? And one of the things he says is many will be offended. And what I've called it over the years is like a spirit of offense. Just, I don't know if you guys have noticed it, but it feels like there's just an increase of a spirit of offense that's happening in this generation. And here's how I would define or how you could kind of categorize offense. It's someone has done something wrong to you, and in some cases, something really wrong to you, okay? That's one way that we become offended. Or another way is you feel in your perception of the situation is that you've been wronged, so therefore you are offended. The first acknowledgement is, in most cases, like you need to acknowledge that what somebody did to you was wrong. You need to say, okay, that was, that was wrong. That hurt. It was sin. It was mean-spirited. It was harsh. It was, it was whatever. And there are two things you need to know. God wants to do something, but then also we must do something. In that situation, when you are offended, when something has hurt your feelings, something that is just, oh, this irked me, all right? There is something that God wants to do, and there is something that he requires us to do. God wants to heal you. And guess what? He's really good at it. He's so good at healing your heart. It's crazy. I don't know how he does it, but he just heals us. Now, does it happen in one second? I mean, you can get you can have powerful moments with God that happen in one second, but I've gone through a few, <laughs> I've had plenty of opportunities to be offended, and it's been some cases for the bigger things, it's taken me like weeks, months, years to feel like, wow, I have really received a lot of healing from that. Okay, there are some things that are a little bit minor that, okay, it doesn't take years, but it takes some time. And in fact, some of us, it's like, you will definitely remember the big things that offend you. But honestly, I just want to give an encouragement here. It's like, just don't, don't ignore the little things. Because sometimes the little things, over time, especially with the people closest to you, can actually add up and build up and become something bigger. <laughs> and because we, we know these things were big, we're willing to give time to it to make sure that we're asking God for healing. 
I was processing something with, with Beth and about just different hard things I've walked through, and I was kind of listing off, like, you know that one and that one, the, kind of the biggest things in my life? I feel really healed about that and that situation or those people. But then I was like, oh, well, yeah, these other littler things, maybe I need to do some work. <laughs> and so just don't belittle any offense. Bring it all before God. And, and, and it's not magic words, but, but you need to be diligent. Lord, I am hurting. Heal me. You know, it is, it is extended time in God's presence, worshiping him, asking him, literally, it's just so directly, as direct as you can, Lord, touch my heart, heal me. This hurts me. I don't know why these did it, but, Lord, heal me. I don't know why this happened or why these people did it, but, Lord, heal me. He's really good at healing you. Amen? He wants to, and there's pain in this room. I know there's so much pain in this room, and the Lord wants to heal you. But there's also something he requires us to do. We must forgive. There is no other way. In fact, it's part of your healing process. But if we do not forgive, we will not walk in the fullness of restoration, even in our relationship with other people, but also even our relationship with the Lord. God is serious about forgiveness. You and I, as followers of Jesus, this will be hard to hear for some of us, but we have no right to stay offended. We have no right to stay bitter, mad, and upset, even for those that have really wronged us. But we, what we have the right, or really I'll say the privilege to do, is to be healed and to forgive. Woo! The glory of knowing Jesus and have the Spirit of God inside of you, because if you didn't have the Spirit, there'd be no chance of healing or forgiveness, and we'd be trapped forever. But because the Spirit of God lives in us, we have a privilege and a responsibility to be healed and to forgive. And if we do not, it will be a hindrance, like I said a second ago, to our relationships moving forward. Now, some of us, you know, we say, oh, yeah, I've forgiven that person, you know, because someone in this room, a friend of you that believe, a friend of yours that believes in you, wants to hold you accountable to living a biblical lifestyle, might say, hey, you know, you need to forgive that person. And if your response is, oh, I've forgiven them, you know, I think it's just a healthier approach to ask someone close to you, does it feel like I've forgiven that person? Just go ahead and ask, because you might think you have, but what people around you hear is bitterness spewing out of your mouth, in your tone, your facial expression, when you talk about that situation or that person. It is humbling, but it's, such a, it's a gift, the body of Christ, such a gift. We get to see lo- a little more clearly. And hey, if the answer is no, I haven't really forgiven, or if someone says, it doesn't seem like you've forgiven that person, at least to the degree you need to, if the answer is no, guess what? It's okay. Just repent. <laughs> Isn't that great news? Listen, some of you don't, I mean, when I hear the word repent, I don't think something heavy like, oh, this is so oppressive. I think, woo, there's a way out of my junk. Yay, there's a way out of my sin. Repentance, what a gift. That we could totally miss it, totally blow it, totally be in sin, but Jesus offers us a chance to make it right. By simply humbling ourselves before him, saying that we were wrong. And this example, God, I have harbored offense and unforgiveness. I am so mad at this person for this thing. God, forgive me for staying offended and like receiving that offense and carrying that. God, will you forgive me? You know what the answer is? That question is every time? Yes, he will forgive you. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My, one of my favorite promises in all of scripture. We bring our, our stuff before him. He will forgive us and wash us clean. He'll help you forgive and release. All right? 
Here's someone who ban you and go and come on up. Let me just close it out with this little parable from Matthew chapter 18. It'll be on the screen, but you can also turn there if you want. Matthew 18. You know, these parables were, you know, pretty much told as stories to help, you know, emphasize a point. So I'm going to try to read it like that. It's not necessarily going to teach it, but just, you know, so you can track with me as I read this from Matthew 18. It'll be verse 21 through 35. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? Let me say it a little different way. Lord, how often will my brother offend me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, <laughs> which I love that. I think that um, Peter thought that was a lot. <laughs> like, I'm pretty spiritual, Jesus. I mean, like, okay, once or twice, most people would say that, but I'll do seven. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. It's 490. Therefore, the kingdom of, there you go, here he goes in this parable. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents, uh, if you guys are unfamiliar, so a talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years of wages. One talent, 20 years of wages. And it says this guy owed him 10,000 talents. A little bit of math, and let's say this guy, you know, maybe in today's world, was making about $45,000 a year. Having a debt of 10,000 talents would be $9 billion. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Wow. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. A denarius was about one day's wages. And if that person was working about eight hours a day, $15 an hour, a hundred denarii would be about $12,000. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused, and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what, he had, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is a, so thankful for Jesus sharing hard parables. And as we read this, I just want us to you know, always first think, all right, Lord. How is that for me? How is this applicable to me? Before you think of your friend that you know is offended, before you think of your spouse that's mad at something, like, no, 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 start here. Lord, is there anybody in my life I need to forgive from my heart? And one thing I want you to 
to notice I love about this. I told you those numbers on purpose. I mean, the debt that was forgiven this man, $9 billion, I think it's the point is it's unpayable. It was unpayable. He, he had no chance. But then we look at this, this 100 denarii, and it's about the equivalent of $12,000. And here's what spoke to me about that. I'm glad the parable didn't say the guy owed him one cent. Because the reality is, like, all of us, if you owed someone $12,000, I don't think any of us would be like, yeah, that's, I can just reach in my pocket right now. And so what spoke to me about that is, like, there, there are things people have done to you, it, and it's not one-cent offenses. It feels like $12,000. So I love that it, there's, it's still a good amount of pain, hurt, brokenness, offense. But I think most of you know the, the, par- the parable is comparing how much has God forgiven us? Nine billion dollars worth of wickedness before him that he has just washed clean. And because he has forgiven us so much by his spirit filling us, we can let go of offenses and those that have hurt us. And that's what I want to kind of lead us into right now as we're responding is a time of a couple things. One, just letting go of any offenses you may feel towards those close to you and forgiving them before the Lord. Also, too, if you have not spent the time to receive the healing from the Lord, the Lord wants to heal you. He wants to heal you. He knows you're carrying pain, and you receiving empathy, compassion, love, mercy, and healing from him is huge in your step of restoration. You need to let him heal you. But then we let go of our offenses. So let's go ahead and stand to our feet. I'm going to have the life group leaders go ahead and come forward, make yourself available. So our life group leaders are going to come kind of to the sides here. Some of you life group leaders can come up here to the front also. But, yeah, we just love closing out our time, just really responding to the Lord. If, if you know there's something real deep that you, the Lord's highlighting right now that you need ministering to, and you want to deal with it just between you and the Lord, that's totally fine. Just you can stay in your chair or you can come kneel, kind of this open area in the front. But if you know it would be helpful for you to have someone just kind of partner with you and say, will you please pray for me? I am, I am struggling with this thing or this offense or I need a lot of healing in this area. Then these life group leaders are here and want to pray for you, partner with you, encourage you, and help you not feel like you're carrying weights alone. All right? So come forward if you want prayer. Let me pray for us, but you guys start coming if you want prayer. So, Lord, we just open up our hearts to you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We cannot do this apart from you. But, Lord, I pray that you bring things up in our hearts, things that you want to heal, things that you want to restore, things that you want us to let go of and leave here this morning. I pray that we would not leave carrying the same offense that we walked in with. Expose them, Lord, for our good, for our benefit. Expose, bring to light anything that needs to be brought to light because I know you care about our health and our well-being and our wholeness in you. Lord, heal deep wounds, deep places. Give grace this morning to let go of offenses and lay them at your feet, to forgive from our hearts those that have wronged us. Here we are, Lord. Come and speak to us. Come and minister to us. We need you. In Jesus' name.